Welcome to a Couch Divided podcast where secular psychology meets a Christian worldview with Dr. Robin Hall and Nick Thomas. All right, Nick, sit back and relax. And if you can't, we need to talk about that. <laughs> Prepare to be couched. In 1962, Stanley Milgram shocked the world with his study on obedience. To test his theories, he invented an electronic box that would become a window into human cruelty. In ascending order, a row of buttons marked the amount of voltage one person would inflict upon another. Milgram's original motive for the experiment was to understand the unthinkable how the German people could permit the extermination of the Jews. When I learn of incidents such as the massacre of millions of men, women, and children perpetrated by the Nazis in World War II, how is it possible, I ask myself, that ordinary people who are courteous and decent in everyday life can act callously, inhumanely, without any limitations of conscience? Now, there are some studies in my discipline, social psychology, that seem to provide a clue to this question. The problem I wanted to study was a little different. It went a little bit further. It was the issue of authority. Under what conditions would a person obey authority who commanded actions that went against conscience? These are exactly the questions that I wanted to investigate at Yale University. Forty years later, Milgram's infamous experiment, Obedience, is still taught in classrooms around the world. Open those and tell me which of you is which, please. Teacher. Learn. All right, now the next thing we'll have to do is set the uh, learner up so that he can get some sort of punishment. What inspired Milgram, I would say there were a number of factors. One of them is he was very ambitious. He wanted to make a mark in social psychology. And he wanted, as he wrote to one friend, he wanted to come up with the most, with the boldest experiment that he could think of. Would you roll up your right sleeve, please? This electrode is connected to the shock generator in the next room. And this electrode paste is to provide a good contact to avoid any blister or burn. Do you have any questions now before we go into the next room? About two years ago, I was in the Veterans Hospital in West Haven. Mm -hmm. And while there, they detected a heart condition. There's nothing serious. But as long as I'm having these shocks, uh, how strong are they? How dangerous are they? Well, no, although they may be painful, they're not dangerous. Mm -hmm. Anything else? No, that's all. All right, teacher, would you take the test and be seated in front of the shock generator, please, in the next room? But the experiment was rigged. The victim was an accomplice of the experimenter. The victim, according to plan, provided many wrong answers. His verbal responses were standardized on tape, and each protest was coordinated to a particular voltage level on the shock generator. Now, as teacher, you were seated in front of this impressive-looking instrument, the shock generator. 
Its essential feature is a line of switches that goes from 15 volts to 450 volts and a set of verbal designations that goes from slight shock to moderate shock, strong shock, very strong shock, intense shock, extreme intensity shock, and finally XXX, danger severe shock. Your job, the experimenter explains to you, is to teach the learner a simple word pair test. If he gets each answer correctly, fine, you move on to the next pair. But if he makes a mistake, you are instructed to give him an electric shock, starting with 15 volts, and you increase the shock one step on each error. Incorrect. You'll now get a shock of 105 volts. Hard hit. Just how far can you go in this thing? As far as is necessary. What do you mean, as far as is necessary? Milgram was very much aware that obedience is a necessary ingredient for society to function. But he focused on the darker side of obedience. Incorrect. 150 volts. Sad face. That's all. Get me out of here. I told you I had heart trouble. My heart's starting to bother me now. It's absolutely essential that you continue. You have no other choice, teacher. Oh, I have a lot of choices. My number one choice is that I wouldn't go on if I thought he was being... Welcome, everybody, to a Couch Divided podcast. My name is Nick Thomas, and as always, alongside with me, Dr. Robin Hall, the brilliant Dr. Robin Hall. You always laugh when I... No, no, did you say brilliant Dr. Robin Wahal? I maybe stuttered a (laughs) little bit. Did you add a W? I maybe, and we can call you Wahal. So if my my middle name was a W... It is a cool-sounding name. What would it be? Wilhelmina? Will- <laughs> Why Nona? I don't know a lot of... Wobbin with Hall. Uh, a lot of W names. Yeah. <laughs> Winston. It's, it's this baby talk. Winston. Wobbin. Oh, yeah. Dr. Wobbin. No, no. No, 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 no. No. Yes, hello, Nick. How are you Hi, doing? how are you doing? <laughs> Pinch poke, you owe me a coke. There you go. I am excellent. Excellent. How are you? I'm feeling good. Yay. Uh, I've been actually working out lately. I know. You've been telling me about it. That's and awesome. I've been uh, feeling really good because I don't have chicken nuggets to deal with anymore. And they've been really <laughs> bogging me down lately. The ch- so. All those chicken nuggets? All those chicken nuggets. Yeah, they're gone. I don't know why I choose chicken nuggets as my food of choice. Do you I really? hardly ever need that. You're not joking? <laughs> no. I thought you were being hyperbolic. I, I, I was. Okay. I don't know why I choose chicken nuggets as, uh, as the... Uh, um, oh, you know, oh. the poster child to my uh, depraved eating style. I gotcha. <laughs> like, it's just what your mind conjures when yeah, you right. think Chicken of it. Nuggets, yeah. Interesting. Because I don't want to say tacos. Well, maybe I can, but sometimes <laughs> tacos are healthy. Well, so. like, you could definitely eat a more healthy taco. <laughs> yeah, but you can't eat a healthy chicken nugget from McDonald's. So. Um, prob- no. No. Not from just, McDonald's. It's no. not. And that's why it's good. It is good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll just be fair, right? Yes, and if you're still tuning in now. <laughs> so congratulations on your decision to be healthier. Yes, and I feel good, and so I'm ready uh, for this episode too as well, full of excitement and vigor. If you want more exercise, you can hang out with Toby for a couple hours. Oh, yeah, uh, just picking him up gives me exercise. <laughs> He's getting so big. He's such a chunk. 
I love that guy. I know. He loves you, too. Yeah. <laughs> he loves you so much. We were hanging out the other day, and he just, boom, just went right up. And then chilled with me on the couch for a little bit until he got a little antsy. So, until he tried to take a picture. Then he, oh, <laughs> then yeah. he wanted to leave. I yeah. know. He knows the camera. He doesn't. <laughs> he wants to look at the phone. He doesn't yeah, want yeah. to be the subject of yeah. the picture. I get it. I get video. it. I'll, I'll get it. Um, but, yeah. he. So, Toby mostly spends time with me and his dad. Right. But the other people that see him the most often are his grandparents yeah and he's very comfortable with them sure um and he's not he's going through like this very shy phase with most other people yeah, right now yeah. but you like are the giant exception right right and i know he spent a lot of time with you but it to me it doesn't seem like it is it's an exorbitant amount that would explain his we're sincere gonna, love for you we're gonna have fun as he's growing up yeah he loves uncle nick so yes um yeah well um, do we have housekeeping stuff? Yes, yes. So uh, our website at couchdivided.com is right now it's under construction. Yes. And uh, we'll be assessing and how we want to rearrange that in the future. Yes. Uh, We're but, really excited yeah, for but, the ideas that we've got going. But uh, yeah, please continue to, uh, to support us. Um, you're listening still, which yes. is great. Uh, which is great, uh, you know, and we see uh, your comments and uh, we get the, the analytics on the downloads. So we will keep producing episodes uh, just because our website is under construction. Right. I feel like we yeah. have to we should probably like do a shout out to Detroit. Like there's a bunch of y'all in Detroit. Yeah, that kind of love the show. Um, yeah. Well, we got like a we just had a like an influx in downloads from yeah. that area. So. I don't know, like, shout out to Detroit, yay. Yeah, whatever, uh, you know, whoever the Christians are in Detroit, or maybe even, you know, um, you know, people who just uh, stumbled onto the podcast right. that are maybe not it, necessarily Christian. Maybe but. that's also, like, maybe it's not exactly Detroit. I'm not sure how they It says they Detroit, group. I believe it. does it. say Detroit, yeah. though. Proper. And, um, you know, that's God's providence in pushing things, you know, uh, you know, in, in different ways. So I, I hope, uh, um, you know, the, the people that have been listening are, are enlightened and encouraged in the ways of Jesus Christ and maybe know a little bit more how we analyze things. Oh, so, that yeah. was such a great way to summarize like our hope and mission. For oh, there this. you go. Well stated, sir. Where secular psychology meets a biblical. <laughs> well, yes, Touched I'm on. glad to be back. I can't even handle that. We're already in April. <laughs> I know. Um, right? It's really crazy. Oh my goodness. We're in the middle or yes. the middle of the second week. Yeah. Oh, wow. So anyway, for right now, our website's under construction. So if you go to a couchdivider.com, you're not going to find anything. Um, but please follow us on social media. Mm -hmm. Like, like, share us. Let people know about us. Leave us reviews on in whatever podcatcher you use to listen yeah. to your podcast. Mm -hmm. um, we love you guys. And yeah. Yeah. And keep reviewing um, our podcast too on Spotify. I see the reviews going up and on iTunes. Oh, cool. Give us five stars if you think that we deserve it, but be honest. Five yeah. stars. <laughs> yeah. And uh, share it with your friends. It uh, helps us so. get more notor like notoriety too, the more reviews that we get. Naturally. Yeah. Naturally. So, Which is what we want. We want more people to know about us. So, again, we thank you for the support. Keep on listening and we'll keep on pumping them out. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Pump it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just like cha channeled Arnold there <laughs> not I'm gonna that pump I'm... you up yeah i know we need jerry because he can do oh yeah pretty good arnold impression jerry over at coltish can do an a fabulous yeah. arnold impression we'll get him to do it oh yeah um oh man sorry i'm like launched back to almost a decade ago when jerry and i threw a bad arnold party <laughs> in the like infancy of uh apologia 
at um, Ben Gobert's house, mm-hmm. and we watched terrible Arnold movies all day. Bad it was Arnold? So, Is that what you called yeah, it? Yeah, Bad, Bad Arnold. Arnold. It was yeah. so great. And I think we swam wow. and, of course, like... Ate a bunch of, it was really fun. This tells you where my mind goes to is like Bad Arnold. I'm thinking of a punk rock band, and it would be a is good, that a that no? Would, it would just be a good name for a punk rock band. We're Bad Arnold, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, kind of like Tim Hogue's uh, Oakley Doakley yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. Stuff. You know what? When he uh, made that, I d- I knew of that before I even met Tim. Oh, did you? And so I found out, and I go, oh, that was you. <laughs> you know, as the drummer. Uh, oh, so in there. that was we're that talking. Was crazy. A friend of ours has a niche was involved in a niche uh, heavy metal band called Oakley Doakley, and they all dressed up as Ned Flanders. Yeah, and played hard, uh, our friend, hardcore metal music. Yeah, yeah. Tim Hogue is, is the drummer, or was yeah. the drummer. I'm actually not sure if they still exist or no. not. No. Yeah, anyway. Know. We got to ask them. <laughs> Check them out. I just saw them the other day. Um, <coughs> We have digressed a little bit, a lot of it. Um, what are we talking about tonight, Nick? Tonight? Well, if you're listening to it at night. Um, oh, I guess you're right. We are recording this in the... It isn't night, though. No, it's the afternoon. Wow. It's the afternoon. I'm a mom, guys. It's 1.30 in the afternoon. Everything is night. What are we talking about this afternoon? <laughs> well, we wanted to actually dive into somewhat of the you know the psychological history uh, that we've seen throughout the years uh, and we're going to be st- and, and every undergrad student uh, in behavioral health or a psychology or counseling of any kind has most likely heard of this uh, or heard of this man Stanley Milgram and his Milgram or what has been nicknamed the Milgram experiment or the obedience experiments on that do you remember learning that in, in, in school oh yeah yeah. Um, yeah was it undergrad I don't remember when that's usually when we I really don't remember. I'm sure we looked at it more in depth in in graduate ethics. But yes, so um, we actually think there's a whole bunch of reasons why talking about the Milgram obedience trials Mm. um, is relevant to Mm -hmm. um, us right now, um, especially considering uh, what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So we thought it would be interesting to talk about one of the more notorious psychological, well, social psychology experiments Mm. in American history. Um, and we hope you guys will be interested in it. Right. So it is very interesting. And you said uh, two key words were, you know, ethics and then social psychology as well, which we're going to be going into a little bit of that and start to break it down. But Stanley Milgram, famous man known for his obedience, uh, experiments, um, you know, was born in New York. He was a Jewish man. He died in 1984 as well. But he, um, you know, he was American social psychologist known for his controversial and groundbreaking experiments on obedience to authority. And yeah. that's really what uh, really what he, his scope of practice was, you know, what makes a person obedient to an authority figure. Oh, that was definitely yeah, his area of interest. I feel like you should have um, introduced him the way, like as though he was a, like a dating contestant. Oh, yeah. Suitor number one. Milgram uh, Experiment yeah. is a yeah. Jewish man from New York. Milgram Experiment Man? Yeah, Milgram Experiment Man. <laughs> or Stanley. <laughs> Did I say? You said Milgram Experiment Man. He I wears mean, a cape, too, as well. One in the, yeah, one in the same. Oh, my goodness. One in the Milgram same. Experiment. Stanley Milgram, suitor number one. Yes. So um, we, we hope that some of you guys, or we assume that some of you guys are probably familiar with this experiment, but we're going to approach it as though you've never heard of it before to give you a good idea of what happened and right. why it's such a controversial and important. Yeah. Um, now he's done other experiment. studies 
like I said, yeah, he's done other studies, but a scope of practice was obedience, Milgram's obedience experiments, in addition to all of his other studies that he carried out uh, during his career, generally are considered to have uh, provided important insight into human social behavior, particularly um, obedience and social pressure, uh, which we all know about, too, as well, right? Coercion uh, comes to mind. Uh, a person is coerced to do something. Um, you know, and, uh, and his insight to that. So he really wanted to, uh, conform, um, or he really wanted to study about the, the conformity of man on that. But he, he wasn't a clinical psychologist, right? He was a social psychologist, mm-hmm. uh, a PhD that he attained from Harvard, mm-hmm. conducted his experiments at Yale and various other, um, institutions. Yale, uh, is where he went after Harvard, um, I remember uh, before researching this, and you said, isn't that like sleeping with the enemy? He got his PhD in, in Harvard, and he worked at Yale, yeah. like immediately afterwards. Well, you know? I mean. No loyalty. I'm sure that, what, I don't, I've never attended an Ivy League school, but I'm sure as those two are rivals, aren't they? Well, yeah. I, I mean, don't know. <laughs> I mean, in the 1960s, <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, I can even see psychologists not caring you know Uh, about that whatsoever uh, i mean politics are big in universities anybody that's been to one knows that's true so yes that's Um, for sure yeah so yeah he was a like quote-unquote social psychologist so So, he was a psychologist a research psychologist who focused on so like social issues issues. no you know there is a difference between a clinician somebody's got their side like you and then a PhD in yes. social psychology or whatever field. Um, do you want to explain a, a little bit of those differences, what the differences between the two are, what is maybe needed more, or sure. what do you see more relevant in society today? Uh, sure, sure. So um, uh, there's all sorts of like de- letter designations, right, that right. come after uh, somebody's name depending mm-hmm. on what degree they've earned. Mm-hmm. So I have my doctorate in clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. The designation for that degree is capital P, mm-hmm. S-Y, period, capital D, period. Mm-hmm. So what Stanley Milgram obtained was a doctorate in philosophy, mm-hmm. okay, which is what all PhDs yes. are. Yeah. And he s- specifically studied, like his area of study was mm-hmm. in psychology or the more nuanced mm-hmm. social psychology. Right. So um, his is a research degree, right? Yeah. That would be the difference between his, that degree and then the degree of a psychologist that you would go sit down with and do therapy with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not that PhDs can't, mm-hmm. uh, they but they have to practice, you know, pass licensing yeah. exams mm-hmm. and undergo supervision and stuff, get trained. Um, so like in my program, was heavily researched based. So we mm-hmm. were very much encouraged to participate, to conduct. And then we have just like any doctoral program, a dissertation project, which is, you know, mostly research. So right. it's not that cl- the clinical degree abdicates any research training. Right, right. But it's we most of the time. You're more patient focused. Right, right exactly. Yeah. We're more mm-hmm. treatment focused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that would be the difference there. I mean, and there's lots of other degree designations in counseling, right? right? right. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to go through all those. No, no. Yeah. But it was important to, to actually show the difference between uh, two, because when, you know, people hear psychology, 
Uh, they may be uh, unaware of all the other fields. They think about, you know, a psychologist as a person that you sit down with and, you know, explain and they give you counsel uh, and they work through uh, your troubles and woes and whatnot. Uh, but there is a uh, there is all kinds of fields in psychology. Milgram is one of those um, guys who was a social psychologist. So he mm-hmm. wanted to uh, understand. Well, let's just break it down this way: the the psychology of society, or particular groups, or um, uh, or factors in society, mm-hmm. uh, which is highly needed. Um, and they do some wonderful work, or can do some wonderful work. But why are we talking about Stanley Milgram if he did <laughs> so much wonderful work? He actually had a controversial. Study, didn't he? Yes, more, um, than, more than one. <laughs> yes. Now, obedience uh, experiments, you're thinking, well, you know, how do you test? So why, why, yeah. don't, why don't you back up a little bit yeah, and explain yeah. what you mean when you say obedience study, obedience trial? So Milgram um, wanted to study what makes a person obedient to an authority figure. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what drives obedience? Yes. In the context of authority. Right. 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 Like in in a in a in a situation where an authority figure mm-hmm. is encouraging. Yeah, a okay. particular behavior. Right. Whether good or bad, and in this situation, it was vindictive behavior. So uh, the well, authority har- harmful. Yeah, harmful yeah. Be- behavior. Um, Punishment. Yeah, from, was, that's how it was couched. Yeah, we'll from an authority uh, figure. So let's go. Uh, I'll just give you a brief overview of the study yes. itself. So okay. tell us about the time, like what year and all that. This was 1963. He actually conducted uh, three different experiments over the years, uh, 63 to 74, I believe. Well, he. I mean, so he actually conducted a lot more, but the major studies in obedience were 63, 65, and mm. 74. Yeah. So he designed uh, an experiment. Uh, this is what we know as the Milgram experiment, whereby study, uh, uh, whereby study subjects who believed that they were participating in a learning experiment about punishment and memory. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, they were instructed by an authority figure, and that's the experimenter, uh, to inflict seemingly painful shocks to a helpless victim, which they called the learner. Both the experimenter and the learner were actors, though, hired by Milgram. So no one was getting shocked. Right. Nobody was actually being hurt. Yeah. But. But the participant that they had in did not know that, that, yeah. that they were actors, so the, right? There was deception. Exactly. So the participant or the teacher that they uh, gave the title to thought that they were going to field questions. And anybody that would get a question wrong would be administered with a shock. And they thought the experiment was, well, if they get shocked, maybe they'll remember the answer. And that was the experiment. But Milgram had something going on behind the scenes. Right. That's right. So that's what they were told the experiment was. Right, right. It was a learning experiment, but that's not what Milgram was yeah. studying. So there was deception in this experiment in such a way where you can tell somebody something and go, okay, now you got to administer the, stro- the shock. Right. And... They're going to administer the shock if you told them to do that, that he wanted to see how far they would go. So they started at 15 volts and it went all the way up to 450 volts, which is lethal. Right. So but also like Nick's going to paint this cool picture for us here in just a second of Mm -hmm. what the experiment conditions actually look like. Um, But. Is the, and um, we'll probably post on social media, maybe even in like our story when the at this episode. Yeah, yeah, I have I have a cool image. P- right yeah, here. pictures yeah. of the machine itself. Um, but the 
the markings on the machine actually indicate when the the like voltage becomes lethal lethal yes. so they can see it on the machine right um i mean so even if like because if you asked me if i like who knows literally nothing about electricity at all about 400 like the maybe like the average girl might know that that's a lethal to, mm-hmm. to voltage but I, the point is they also had imagery in front of them that mm-hmm. indicated like no danger warning 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 yeah, you know yeah. hi hi so anyway um, so i got a kind of kind of a cool analysis right here and uh, also um a graphic as well that'll explain now the teacher that's the participant that they brought in um the teacher is not the actor so the, there's two other people that are involved in this experiment, right? The experimenter, the one analyzing okay. the experiment. How, so tell me how many people total are involved. So four people are involved. Okay. But three people, uh, as far as the teacher goes or as far as the no, participant no, the, the, goes. The entire, yeah. exper- in this entire yeah, research. Yeah, four people. There's four people involved. Okay. There's four people involved. Um, uh, two are in one room. The other is in another room. And the other one is behind the scenes analyzing all the data. Okay. And that's Milgram himself. So the teacher is told to administer an electric shock every time the learner makes a mistake, increasing the level of shock each time. Now, there were 30 switches on a shock generator marked from 15 volts, slight shock, to 450, danger, severe shock, lethal. And this room, very dark. Okay. And there's an experimenter with a lab coat on, Mm -hmm. always with the, I don't know, they're not even messing with chemicals at this point, but like they got a lab coat on. Oh, no, 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 we, all doctors wear white coats. (laughs) It's so weird. No, I'm serious. I know. It's so weird. Why is that weird? I don't know why. It's like when I think of lab coats, I think of messing with chemicals and biology and, you know, that's what I think. Mad scientist behind the scenes with gloves. He's alive with the. <laughs> have you never met with a doctor, like a private practice doctor? That's worn yes, a white I have. Coat? White, yes. Worn a white coat, but they're always well, yeah, just not with a, a psychology, uh, you know, psychological doctor, but you know, with a normal doctor, um, you know, that you would go in like a family practitioner, <laughs> a normal doctor. Yeah, that's the, you know what I mean. Uh, the the day to day guy that you you want to ch- you know he sticks a, a toothpick down your tongue. Anything but normal. Yes. Um. Yes. Yeah. No. I okay. So there's a whole every anybody that's going in to like PhD, PsyD, any doctoral program like that, like a care program goes through a a white coat ceremony. Mm -hmm. Even medical doctors who are essentially getting the equivalent of a master's degree, even though they are getting a a degree, a medical doctor degree. Right. Um, they get they go through a white coat ceremony. A white coat ceremony. I'm serious. I love it. I love it. I didn't know that. Uh, where you These actually that... get your white coat put on you by wow. a faculty member in your program. Wow. It's a whole. It's a whole deal. Ritual. Huh? Like I love it. Legitimate ritual experience. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> so rem- you can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So remember. Um, I'm gonna deck out your white coat with right. with jewels. So I, I, uh, yeah, I, I know, will, I, I, know. I want to be dazzled. Yeah, I'm going to bedazzle it. <laughs> be dazzled my white coat. <laughs> so remember, there's an experimenter, right? Um, and then there's a teacher and then there's a learner, uh-huh. right? Um, the participant is the teacher. They think that the experiment is all real, right? And they're going to field questions to a student or a learner, right? And administer a shock every time they think it, they well, it's wrong. And there's a dividing wall between the student and the teacher. So the teacher cannot um, see the student, but they can hear him. 
right? And the experimenter is there to either, you know, encourage uh, the um, process to continue um, right. and whatnot and so is the, writing down data. The experimenter, the white coat is the authority figure, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The um, teacher mm-hmm. is the actual participant in right. the study. Right. But they believe that the guy on the other side who is the learner mm-hmm. is also a participant, but mm-hmm. he is not. He is an actor. Right. They're also told. Mm-hmm. That the shocks, aren't they told the shocks aren't harmful? Well, they said it will be painful, but it's not dangerous. Okay, painful, but not dangerous. Yeah, which um, I don't, you know. But like you said, remember, even though they can't see the quote-unquote learner, they can't mm-hmm. see the person acting as the learner, they, they can, can hear them, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, eventually as the shocks got higher, well, I'll t- uh, the learner gave mainly wrong answers on purpose, right? Because right. they're the actor, right? Remember, Milgram wants to see how far this person would go under a, an authoritative command. Right. So if you can hear him, you're going to eventually hear him go, ow, or scream. Uh, and eventually, as the vault started getting higher, the screams got more, almost morbid, uh, you know, um, and a very, and very harsh, uh-huh. right? Like um, tortured. Right. And so the experimenter, it, when somebody would go, oh, no, that person is getting, you know, harmed. There were four prods that they went to. The experiment went to uh, would say, "Please continue." Every time the the teacher, the participant in there, was reluctant to administer another shock, and then if they were still reluctant, they would go. The experiment requires you to continue. That was the second prod. Now the third prod is: it is absolutely essential that yes, you continue. That's the third prod. Mm-hmm. And here's the fourth prod. And this is where it really gets really unethical. I mean, you just heard those three prods. They're already unethical. If you hear somebody getting shocked and you continue after those prods, it's pretty unethical. But on prod four, it says you have no other choice but to continue. So if it's still reluctant by that time, um, that sounds like a threatening statement. uh, So, right. Okay. So. But we'll, we're going to get more into why this is so horribly unethical uh, in just a second. If you can't tell yeah, already. If you guys aren't pulling it on your own, that's uh, that's totally fine. Oh, Toby's home. Yes, I can hear you him. You can hear him. <laughs> um, Hopefully you guys can too. <laughs> I know. Anyway, my son, he's, um, I can hear him. He walked in the house. Right. Um, what you're saying is, is that as the participant or mm-hmm. teacher would become hesitant to administer further shocks, mm-hmm there would be these four prompts, right? right? So if the first prompt worked, there would be no other prompt, like mm-hmm. if they continued. Um, but if they were really, really hesitant to continue, ultimately the fourth yeah. and final prompt forward would right. be this, you, well, say it again, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it, it would say you have no other choice. You have but no other continue. choice. So the prods got uh, more intense, right. uh, each uh, reluctant behavior, gotcha. right? a reluctant response, um, which this is, making it unethical already on that. And it's borderline coercion. Um, and so sometimes the teacher felt like they had no choice, you know, but to administer a shock. And this is what Milgram was trying to analyze. You know, how far would somebody go when right. just simply commanded or By threatened? somebody in an authoritative position. Right, right. Um, I think we, we at the beginning of the episode, um, you heard a little clip, like an actual clip from one of the, um, one of the trials, right? You hear, mm-hmm. you get to actually hear a participant um, arguing with the experimenter mm-hmm. essentially about continuing. And you can see 
oh, the distress, right? right. So and um, it, if you guys haven't, like, it, we're going to post um, a really neat, like, promotional video. So make sure we'll you show guys you. check it yeah. out. Um, um, now, what's interesting here is about two-thirds of the participants in one of the studies continued to the highest level of 450 volts. All other participants in there went up to 300 volts. Okay. So, I mean, what's the difference between 450 and 300? 150 volts, but both are pretty lethal or both are pretty harmful uh, to somebody. As far as the teacher is, uh, or uh, the participant, I'm going to call them the, uh, the participant uh, for the remainder. Um, you know, that's pretty drastic to administer that right. many volts to somebody. Well, and so. especially because, uh, like, if you watch some of these clips, the, um, the learner stops responding at a certain point. So, yeah. like, you, he's screaming <sighs> yeah. in response to the shock. Um, I mean, he's screeching, please I mean, stop, stop, this stop. hurts. This is awful, yeah. stop. I mean, it's really, really intense. I remember, um, they're actors, so they know how to engage that right. emotion. I mean, that's well. the whole point. Yeah. Um, and so they, but there is a point at which they stop responding at all to the shocks. Mm-hmm. You know? And you can see how Milgram is now gaining his data. Uh-huh. You know, he's like, all I had to do was say, you must continue. You must continue. Right. You must continue. And they did right. to a certain point. Now, what this also shows is that there's a limit uh, to people too as well. So though two thirds went to 450 volts, the re- you know, one third said, okay, no, I, I, I can't do this anymore. They snapped it to reality. Sure. But I, I think that they went far enough to show that, um, well, maybe um, they weren't thinking right. <laughs> you know, in order to get to, to 300 volts, you still have to go through some transgressions against morality. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, the point was that the shocking result was that 65% of these participants just continued to administer the shocks. Mm-hmm. They just did. Yeah. I mean, it's the equivalent to. Oh, I didn't kill him. I only punched him brutally. That's the 300 volts. And then the other one was, no, I killed him. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember yeah. exactly how it was like divided up on the machine, but we'll post pictures. Um, so, yeah, there's so there's lots and lots of things wrong with what happened in that experiment. And you could not conduct that experiment today in the way that he conducted it ethically. Yeah. There have been variations, which is hard to pull off um, about it, but even... Uh, I think there was one done uh, as early as uh, 2006 that yielded some uh, similar results, uh, but they, uh, they they did a, um, a partial um, variation uh, of it, which was still uh, being used uh, as a deception and, and yada yada. And I, I still think in my heart that it would be unethical to even perform a variation of it. Well, so. I mean, I don't know. The, the, the thing is, is if the research was was conducted then it had to go through a review committee that mm-hmm. examined like the ethical mm-hmm. nature of using human subjects. Right, right. So, um, but it is because of studies are like this, like the Milgram mm-hmm. obedience trials, that those ethics codes are in place mm-hmm. um, because they didn't exist right, right. prior to I that. Mean, and so one of the things that you guys should all know, if you ever participate in any research of any kind, right. period, it doesn't have to be psychological research, but any kind, mm-hmm. you absolutely have the right to discontinue at any point. Right, right. You can under, like, not be held to like continue yeah, as or a prisoner finish or anybody by yeah. like under threat threat coercion by by bribery nothing 
Yeah. Like, and part of informed consent is knowing that. Right. Okay. So not only do they, like the experimenters have to tell you that you can quit at any time. Mm -hmm. They're also Mm -hmm. legally obligated to inform you Mm -hmm. of various aspects related to the study. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, if there is something like deception involved in the research that's being done, there's a debriefing that occurs yeah. following the research. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're, if anyone out there has been involved in any research trials mm-hmm. where you feel like you yeah, can't make sure leave, you have a consent and a debriefing ooh, uh, aspect to dangerous. it. Those are very important. I'm glad that those are implemented too, as well, oh, yeah. to protect uh, from you know a possible trauma. Uh, well, uh, uh, like uh, we see in the Milgram experiment, right. I can only imagine what the uh, the participant was thinking what they um, went you, through. you know what they went through uh, of course they do bear responsibility for even pressing that volt of button in the, and so it kind of goes both ways you know the person that is coercing another person holds a responsibility and the person uh listening holds responsibility in certain aspects and in this aspect I, I i believe that there's responsibility on both sides so oh yeah um i mean nobody was actually injured so Yes. I mean, physically injured, but the psychological, so nobody was arrested. The psychological <laughs> harm that results from that is intense and can be, yeah. and you guys can see it even in the clips that we'll put out for mm-hmm. you. Um, these people are distraught yeah. um, over this. And it, it is incredible to watch because they, they fight it. So mm-hmm. they're fighting it so hard. They don't want to be obedient. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are. So, mm-hmm. I think it's it's a very creepy vibe, even the setting in the room too, as well. Like I said, I mean it's it's just two people. One of them is administering shocks, and the other person is on another side that you can't see. Going ah, you know, screaming. <laughs> and so imagine, you know, Nick, imagine I can't wait this. to read a research paper that you write in which yeah. you describe the research environment as yeah. creepy, like having and seedy. It's vibes. like a motel room, <laughs> like a Norman Bates. Yeah, yeah. bathtubs full of ice. And, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, the whole mood was supposed to be ominous, yeah, right, and mm-hmm. foreboding and pressured, you know, confusing and right. disorienting. Um, I think that this is a really interesting experiment for so many reasons. Um, I'm sure you guys are like, it's pretty apparent why this became such an important study, mm-hmm. um, because from a social socio like sociological or social psychology standpoint um understanding why groups of people blindly obey people in authority positions of authority is pretty important right right um and that kind of leads us into the historical context of what led Stanley Milgram yeah, to even do this in the right, first to place? Be curious about what was this. his intent and why, why was he a passion? Why was this scope of practice of understanding obedience to authority and social pressure? You know, why did he get fixated on this? Was it because him himself was obedient or maybe a rebel or <laughs> is there something different? Is it something deeper? Uh, yeah. So, okay. Milgram, uh, was born in um like you told us i think he was born in 33 yeah yeah new york uh city bronx um, in the bronx borough so, right yeah. um so that actually just happens to be the same year that um the nazis 
the Nazi regime came to power in Germany. Mm -hmm. So um, Stanley Milgram was Jewish Mm -hmm. and his family was Jewish. Mm -hmm. His father still had relatives in Europe Mm -hmm. when the Nazis came to power. And he, you know, remembered being very close to the like terror of that situation. Mm -hmm. And so um, he even actually, uh, I was reading an article that said um, some of his relatives that ended up surviving the Holocaust came to stay with him while at the Milgram household in 46. Mm -hmm. Um, So he, I mean, this kind of concept, this notion of how a group of people could kind of blindly obey a dictator mm-hmm. and to the point of being responsible for the execution of millions right. of people. Um, it this, was really, it was a very close, important concept right. I mean, he for was, him. Obviously being a Jewish man, uh, he's going to feel um, a lot of this because a lot of the people that he uh, was similar in culture with, you know, got executed. But then also the Nuremberg trials uh, came up and the Nuremberg trials were uh, after the Nazis lost their power. There were various trials conducted that if you were a Nazi or affiliated with the Nazi party, you were going to be charged with crimes against humanity and put to death. Um, and then he thought, you know, he's like, you know, was every Nazi guilty or what made them actually listen to a vindictive man uh, like this? And uh, right. I think his experiments show partially what was going on there in totality. I'm not so sure, but we'll get into a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, I think he was looking for an answer yeah. to or, or he was looking to see if he could create a circumstance in which he could essentially replicate like a similar response. And mm-hmm. I think he did that in his experiment. The problem is what isn't recreated in his experiment is the socio-political culture of right. Nazi Germany and World War II, every, mm-hmm. everything that was going on. I mean, how would one recreate mm-hmm. that? And I think... Without historic- becoming Hitler yourself, you can't. I mean, yeah. how I, there's a lot of very educated people who have commented on these ty- the aspects, you know, in this area that contributed to what went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milgram himself, interestingly, in any of his papers, really doesn't spend a lot of time hypothesizing about why it is. Why mm-hmm. is it that so many people respond obediently, mm-hmm. even in the face of, like, clear... Mm-hmm evidence you know that somebody is being harmed in an unjustified way you know unjustified context yeah do you think that he felt um that the results spoke for themselves maybe yeah i don't know there's been a lot of interpretations on these uh these results um maybe that was the motive too as well because when i look at them i i come to a, a conclusion um and i've i've read a lot of things and they come to a different conclusion than me what do you mean and about about what the results mean? About what the results mean. Um, I look at the kind of a meta analysis of it, and like I just commented, without becoming Hitler yourself, you really can't show everything um, that is going on. He had to use deception. Hitler was pretty explicit in his motives, but but he but it was deceptive yeah. and it was insidious and it was like slow cooking at, right. at first. Um, there's so many things that go into that. Um, 
cultural phenomenon that occurred. Right. And I do think like this is a way of looking at what, how people will just kind of be blindly obedient. Yeah. If the person that's telling them to do something says they're a doctor or says right. they're, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. President of the United States. Right, right. right. People in positions of authority, we esteem differently. And that was the, um, that was the Nuremberg trials when they said, well, I was just following orders. Right. Kind of thing. I was just following orders. Yeah, I was just following orders. I was just following orders. The thing is, what makes this unethical at all is that you do have a personal responsibility. And of course, we're Christians. We fear God before man. I and think so, it's interesting because I think that response actually sheds much more light into what's going on in this than, exactly. than the like experiment itself. Yeah. And what I mean by that is when you as an individual possess the capacity to relieve yourself mm -hmm. of personal responsibility, it becomes much easier mm -hmm. to acquiesce, to, to be obedient, even when what's being asked of you is absurd. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to, I'm. we're not going to talk about this a lot here, but I'm just going to drop COVID. Mm -hmm. Hashtag COVID. Right? right. And like, as Christians, this is what we've seen. Mm -hmm. It's just blind. Yeah. It's been blind, frivolous yeah. obedience because what? Well, in the name of safety, it was really yeah. the narrative, right? And it was um, who? It was people right? in position of positions of great authority. Mm -hmm dictating mm -hmm. telling us right Ugh. and this is what the experiment didn't show because you will see um you will see certain factions actually get religious about the narrative of safety as well when i mean by that it's it's in their hearts oh, yeah. they're submitting to it and they will chastise you for tra uh, transgressing against the dogma yeah now, we didn't see that here in the experiment we can we can see that in the Nazi Party, right? Mm -hmm. um, people were zealous for their country. Hitler was the leader right. of the country, so you follow the leader, and we're going to dominate the right. world. And we're talking about a country that really needed to feel some national pride. Yes, at that moment. Yeah, at that right? moment. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and and so you have that aspect that you can't really recreate, but you can actually show the human condition in conformity to obedience. And I think that Milgram did show that. Um, uh, well, I think what he showed was the propensity of people. Right. Right. Um, but really, again like the I was just following orders I think really does illuminate a lot more information about how someone could be motivated mm -hmm. or find themselves in that position where they're they are mm -hmm. being obedient you know even to the point where they're inflicting death upon mm -hmm. someone else um I think that it does it really speaks I'm glad you brought up the Nuremberg trials mm -hmm. Nick for that reason I think it speaks to like more to the psychology Right. That we give ourselves permission, like especially when we see other people doing it. Mm -hmm. That whole like, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you mm -hmm. do it too? Okay, like all those those cliche trite sayings come from somewhere. Yeah. Okay, and it's because mass group stupid think mm -hmm. we do what our neighbors doing right blindly. Yes. Kind <laughs> so, of the uh, monkey see, monkey do kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I think I think right now, especially with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, mm -hmm. this is this experiment is even more relevant. Yeah, relevant to today. You know, if you guys are wondering how can people do X, Y, and Z, well, <laughs> well, uh, we're, uh, we're, what does God say, Nick? Yeah, we are wretches. Mm -hmm depraved sinners yeah and apart from him we actually have no objective morality right yeah. so why is the milgram experiment unethical what why what ethics codes does it violate well 
you're not allowed to make anyone feel like they can't leave. Right. Right. Something. Um, the You have no choice but to continue. Right. The yeah. incredible, you're not allowed to do harm. Mm-hmm. No harm. No, you cannot inflict harm on mm-hmm. somebody for, re- guys, mm-hmm. come on. Mm-hmm. Come on. Even if you're faking it, if somebody <laughs> believes that you are, they're right. going to respond it, the that same way. That doesn't matter. Can yeah. you like? Does your soul know a difference? Oh, you know? <laughs> oh my goodness! And yeah. the bitterness you have to fight after that. Yeah, I would want to be waiting outside for Milgram to get into his car. Or like, oh my goodness, I know this is fake, but I still went to 450 volts. Yes, volts. exactly. What does this mean about what, me? What does this mean about me? Now? Right now, it, they all got to get there. It means you're a depraved sinner yeah. and you need Christ. So. so, and his efforts to show the results. Um, he ended up harming individuals. Yeah, he harmed people. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's actually. We, I didn't look for any of this, but I'm sure there's actual information that you can that can be found about the real participants mm-hmm. in this study. And because I'm sh- I'm certain that they would, some of them probably spoke out, mm-hmm. um, as one does yes. when some this type of a violation. If you had 18 variations, occurs. about 40 participants per variation. Yeah, there's there's, there's a lot of people lot impacted of people by this. Yes. Um, and even, you know, even so, again, I think it does illustrate an important point. Mm-hmm. People, right? This, so this is the biblical, so what? Like, this is where, where as Christians, like, we understand something like this. Mm-hmm. We were created to be in relationship with an ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. We like submitting to authority figures. Mm-hmm. Why did so many people do this? Why? Mm-hmm. We are built to be in relationship with and to submit to authority. And, uh, let me show you. You can't get away from it even right. if you call yourself a rebel or an anarchist because that is an ideolo- uh, ideology in itself and you're submitting to it. Right. You cannot avoid, as a human being who's lesser than God, avoid submission in his design or his creation. Right. Now, your sinful nature will try to manipulate it to conform what you want to uh, conform to, but you're still conforming it to it. Right. Jesus says specifically, you're either a slave to sin or, slave. or righteousness. Yep. And a slave does does not get to roam around freely. Right. It has to a submit. A slave has one master. Yeah. One. Yes. Um, you either a slave to your own heart, which is slave sinful. slave to self, right? Or a or righteous God Christ. who gives you so much freedom in that submission. Right. It's almost, it seems like a dichotomy, but it's like, I've never been more freer right. when I just submitted to yes. my God. So this is the thing. Like if you're asking yourself, what would I do here? Um, without Christ, you're probably going to fall in the 65%. Yeah. Y'all. Th- I wouldn't speculate what you would do yeah, that's <laughs> um, because you really might find yourself idea. on the a wrong end of depravity. I there. can't, yeah. I can't help but speculate that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. But the truth is as a Christian, you have an objective standard of morality mm-hmm. in an atheistic worldview in a secular worldview who cares like all we are yeah. is evolved just, protoplasm yeah. so shock people all you want yeah. it's we're products of random chance and occur like mm-hmm. occurrence circumstance we mean nothing nothing means anything everything is nothing right. so who cares yeah who cares yeah. right um it's it, without god's ultimate authority without his law mm-hmm. we have no objective standard for morality yeah but yet everyone everyone listening christian mm-hmm. or not knows mm-hmm. that what happened in this experiment was wrong and, and just think about it i wonder what would have been done in milgram's mind if he understood that theological premise of the image uh, of god and that we were created and designed to come under something right and it's going to be and we want a righteous authority 
uh, but because of original sin, uh, we're left depraved. Right, and we submit to anyone yeah. in an authority figure. So uh, for Christian, I mean, uh, I can see a Christian. I myself, uh, you know, speak about the Nuremberg trials, and I go, okay, what's the uh, responsibility of man and coercion? What's, uh, you know, uh, how do we test this, and what creates somebody to actually listen to Hitler? Those are normal questions that sh- we should be thinking about. Yes, and as a Christian, questions. we have a biblical standard to actually analyze and come to a conclusion, I believe, consistently. Uh, where Milgram is going, oh, well, it was awful. I yeah. Right. I don't really know why we do this, <laughs> yeah. but um, we do it. And even after his uh, results, it's like... Kind of a shrug, right? Yeah. And there's been... Anybody that's interested can do some more looking around. I read several articles. There's a lot of different... Um, <sighs> hypotheses they're not super well developed at least the ones i read um that uh, so different people have offered mm-hmm. explanations as to why this is what is it about obedience um and actually the whole concept of being able to detach from responsibility mm-hmm. is a is something that's be- being studied has been studied so right. there's been a lot of research since to try and explain why you yeah. know from a secular point of view but as a Christian, you don't need any more information than that. Like, of course you Mm -hmm. were built Mm -hmm. in God's image. You were built to be in relationship with God, to glorify him, to Mm -hmm. worship him, to enjoy him forever. Mm -hmm. If you don't have God there, Mm -hmm. you are going to submit to, and even Christians are going to experience this because we're built to submit to that authority. Mm -hmm. So, and that leads me to like, ultimately in all of this, where I came to as a Christian was no King, but Christ, no King, but Christ, Christ or chaos. That's it. That's it. And you know, and the apostles went through that too, as well. They were held up in courts saying, stop preaching Jesus. We're going to beat you to death. And they go, and what did they say? Do what you feel is right. But as for us, you know, we fear God, not man. We cannot help but telling what we've seen. Right. We fear God first and n- not you. And, this is <laughs> and where... they beat the mess out of them and they left rejoicing. Right. They left rejoicing. Yeah. Oh, acts, man. Right. Yeah. Um, That's so that's the answer to this. Like if, if this is why we should all be theonomists. Right. If you understand, if you get familiar with God's law, and you understand what God says Mm -hmm. is morally ethical, Mm -hmm. if you ever found yourself in in a situation where you were in a Milgram-type experiment Mm -hmm. as the participant, as the teacher, Mm -hmm. you would, like, ultimately know what authority you would submit to, regardless of what the experimenter is encouraging you to do in mm-hmm. the room right and you may just be able to actually have an objective standard before you start administering shocks uh to people uh, i might ask a question i was like what what do you mean like a shock like one of those uh gag hand buzzers when you shake somebody's hand and you shock them and like is it that kind of shock and i don't mind uh but, but uh well is it lethal is it dangerous is well i mean like voltage that? yeah anything i mean i don't know yeah yeah I think with the feedback occurring too, like there's clearly a direct correlation between the administration of the shock mm -hmm. and then a pain response. Right, right. Plus, like you said, they were told it would be painful. Yes. But that it wouldn't be like deadly, lethal. Right. Anyway. So, I mean, 
we, we can see the un, uh, unethical behavior. I myself, and I can't go too deep into the study or explain what I'm doing just to, um, because I need to yield the correct results, uh, but I'm doing a study that actually in, uh, incorporates deception, but I'm withholding information about myself as to not um, um, have a biased response from my participants. Okay. But then in the debriefing form, again, I can't, tell you uh exactly that would you know um spoil yeah spoil everything then i can't do my Mm -hmm. (laughs) experiment experiment. but and in the debriefing form i have to actually tell them you know uh, a few things about me Uh and then whether or not knowing that information they would want their results um issued um of course their names would be private but they get how cool we'll have to like do a whole episode on your yeah yeah it's all done i uh I don't mind uh, doing that. I, I, I'm going to need help. I want to do that within the next few years. Oh, yeah. very cool. Yeah, and it, it incorporates philosophy with behavioral health and an ultimate standard of the biblical worldview being um, foundational for, for wow. mental health. You just so. got to go get a job at a research facility, man, or yes. a university. And uh, my and universities spon- might uh, might help me. Well, get some sponsorship and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and some approval from human participant irbs and you'll be fine i may be able to get it done with gcu as far as the experiment being conducted because of the the christian basis in it but yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. um and so i already wrote the study got an a on it so it it really i mean you know it needs to be defined you know you wrote wrote the proposal yeah i wrote the proposal and everything and you know had to you know you know for my equivalent to a dissertation they called it a capstone project you know for undergrads right for undergrads yeah yeah yeah. and uh it's pretty cool Sir Nicholas, as you, because you will write a dissertation, mm-hmm. um, that it is nothing like your capstone. Yeah, project. yeah, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what they kept saying. It's like this is like a dissertation. I'm like, no, no it's not. It's, no, it's, no, it's, no. There is nothing. I'm just writing a like a dissertation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any anyone that has written a researched a research heavy book, mm-hmm. they know what it's like to write a dissertation. Yeah, mine was about three to four thousand words, uh-huh. five thousand words maybe at the most. But uh, I know a d- dissertation is long, very long and very I'm research based. Pretty sure so. that um, I had 80 um, pages of uh, reference, like source material. Oh, alone. That's yeah. just listing. See, that's unethical. The, re- <laughs> the resources. Um, yeah. So, you know, we I think that ultimately the so what of it is like, you know, like Jeff Durbin says, by what standard? Um, by God's standard. As a Christian, it's always by God's standard. And if you don't know what that is, go spend time where, Nick? Where do they go spend time reading in the, in the scripture? Uh, where do they go spend time? Well, you know what? What books? What books? I'm going to say this. It's important. Read the Psalms first, but it's important to understand that your days are numbered. All right. You have to actually get that fear into you um the psalmist says uh remind me how fleeting my years are the reason why is because this is the wisdom that you incur with the uh, fear of god first know that you're limited uh in these things right and then read the book of ecclesiastes and see that everything is vanity without obedience to god get into your heart the end of your days yeah and understand that everything on earth is vain without God. And if he doesn't build the house, your labor is in vain. Now you have sort of a, a thrusting uh, bode into this. Read the Gospels, understand no condemnation in Christ. And then I would go to uh, things like, uh, um, you know, Philippians, work out your fear, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then I would go to Second Peter on understanding, confirming your election on this. And then, and then go back to the law, right? Go back to God's law, Exodus, Deuteronomy, 
and get, or Leviticus, actually spend some time at Leviticus and get the foundations of God's standards of justice and how to love God and how to love your neighbor. Right. Okay. So I was, I love that you just gave like a, like a, an outline, like a syllabus to a, like a crash course in this. So, mm-hmm. and if you guys, you should take his advice and do mm-hmm. just what he recommended. Um, but I was thinking more of like Exodus, Leviticus, yeah. Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And those books tend to be a lot more daunting for people to just even right. read. Mm-hmm. But don't, so don't feel that way. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know. Um, even if all you're doing at first is l- just like reading through the scripture, get familiar Mm-hmm. Cause you will start to pick, even though mm-hmm. there's going to be stuff that you don't understand and that you should seek counsel, mm-hmm. wise counsel about, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you will start to get a, like a heartbeat, a theme right. for what God yeah. says is I, righteous. I love Le- uh, reading Leviticus now yeah. when in my early walk, when I had no knowledge of God whatsoever or hardly any and you know the deeper things of the uh, of the gospel I didn't really have in there yet Leviticus seemed dry to me because I was always searching through the scriptures looking for something that was just going to enlighten me um and though all of the the counsel of God is enlightening there's got to be a time when in the Christian walk where you start to put um, the foundations of the gospel in with his law so I always start. I always start with the Gospels, or I start with understanding the fear of God first, and then knowing Him and knowing yourself, knowing who He is, knowing yourself, knowing that your days are fleeting, knowing that your days are numbered, and that if the you know the Lord doesn't build it, it's in vain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing that is not in vanity is uh, fear God and obey His commandments. Understand the Gospel. Understand the good news that you're not uh, that you're not um, um, condemned because uh, uh, you've sinned. And then go back to the law after those are set in your heart. Sure. Go back to the law more deeper, uh, deeper, and uh, be sanctified by um, his his justice, his uh, um, ways of uh, of walking. I love that. Yeah, and that's what allows me to do the experiment that I'm doing mm-hmm. to withhold information and to give it when needed, tactfully, without harming an individual, while still holding my responsibility to God and man first. And um, yielding the correct results that I need so that I can uh, hopefully provide the world wisdom. That's what Milgram overall as an image bearer of God wanted to do. Sure. Even if he didn't realize that's what he wanted. But without foundations, it's like, well, as long as I'm not harming anybody. But he didn't understand the repercussions afterwards. And if he did, he ignored it. Right. And uh, I think any genius could tell. I mean, he was a PhD in Harvard. I think anybody could tell that this could be harmful. But... Mm -hmm. Um, but you, know. you you do see that a lot in earlier, early I was like 1960s, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so. the Stanford prison experiment did a lot of, made a lot oh of the my, same mistakes oh and a lot goodness. more, a lot more. And, so. he, and Zimbardo played even a role in that as a, as a guard. A uh, warden. Uh, yeah, warden. Yeah. But that's a story Ooh. for another time. Yes. And, uh, I would encourage anybody to go, uh, to yeah. look at that. Um, I also want to do uh, an episode on the Gloria tapes. We've mentioned that before too, as yeah, well. But this is that would be fun. This is all my beginning work and beginning, you know, learning. And I go, oh man, we're going back to the Milgram and uh-huh. uh, the experiment and the Gloria tapes. I think that would be interesting back to, to our do too. Grassroots, yeah. Sonic. Uh, yes, yeah, but yes, back to the grassroots that uh, that taught us all of this stuff. And <laughs> again, Milgram's experiment did show something. Yeah. 
It shows the depravity of man, no doubt about it. And it shows that we're designed to be in relationship with yeah. an ultimate authority figure. But then ask yourself these questions. To be obedient to an ultimate right. authority figure. We hopefully, we explained it um, a little deeper in the Christian sense about how to conduct a, a, a things like this because we are Christians in a world that wants to discover God's thoughts after him. Well, what, like how as Christians we're supposed to right. exercise in it with obedience. Right. Like ultimately we don't bow. Mm-hmm. Unless it's before Christ. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. So when I think that, that my major encouragement from our like discussion about all this would be don't blindly do anything. Mm-hmm. Don't be blind. Choose not right. to be blind about it. Right. We may live by faith, but that's his by not fa- blind faith. Yeah, but not blind faith. And, you know, Romans 1 specifically says that you know who God is and suppress the truth right. and unrighteousness. So if we know already, then that faith that we're talking about is in God's character and his promises and what he said he's done and will do. His existence you know <laughs> already, and because of uh, a sinful we uh, a sinful nature, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Yeah. So remember that when we say faith, we're not talking about, you know, you know put on a blindfold and start walking. He's given you eyes to see and a mind to think, and he's given you wisdom per his word that he's revealed to you that belongs to you and your sons forever so that you may walk according to his law. Do that in every aspect of life, in your experiments, in your works, in your family, in your relationships with friends or other individuals, Um, and that would be the Christian walk to reflect the light of Christ. I think Milgram failed, obviously, miserably uh, to do that, and maybe just with a bit of foundation uh, under God, he could have actually uh, shown more uh, about the human condition, which I believe that Christians um, have more of an advantage to do than Milgram. So there oh, you go. Yeah, there you go. Well there. said. Well, um, I almost wondered. I got misty eyed. Right? <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it was because it's intense. It was beautiful. It, it was. It was well stated. <laughs> um, yeah. So we hope you guys enjoyed learning a little bit more about our dark history <laughs> as a nation yes. in terms of research. There's lots of really interesting experiments out there. Yes. Horrendous experiments, but well, we love you guys and uh, we hope you. you enjoyed the show. Remember in all your trials and tribulations, you just remember that, um, that take heart that Christ has overcome the world. Yeah. We love you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>